Welcome to the Renaissance Church Podcast. Our mission is to glorify God and to make disciples by bringing the gospel into all of life in all the earth. This is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church here in Richmond, Texas. And if you've not joined us in a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we would love to have you join us. You can find out more information at rin-church.org. And I pray that you are encouraged and edified by the proclamation of God's word today. So we're going to be uh, continuing in our series that we started uh, four weeks ago. This is week four called Empowered. And what we're looking at is the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And what we know is that some of you freak out when we talk about the Holy Spirit and some of you are like, yes, give us more, right? And so what we're trying to do is bring us together as a church body and also be very clear about what we understand the scriptures to teach us about the Spirit's role in our life. I want to begin with an exercise that really helped me because I think every one of us comes into a series like this when we're talking about the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, and we're thinking like, well, what is my gift, right? Like, what is God doing inside of me? And so um, I I want to put up a, a scripture on the screen for us. This is Romans chapter 15. And this is Paul, and he's giving a summary statement about his ministry. And here's what he says about his ministry. Romans 15, 18 through 19 says, For I would not dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. So it's all about Jesus through me, right? By word and deed for the obedience of the Gentiles, by the power of miraculous signs and wonders, and by the power of God's spirit. As a result, get this, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. Wow. So, Paul's saying, look, I I, I take no credit. This was all Jesus through me. And he uses this this, uh, language to to identify three elements. And he says it was by word and by deed and by power. Word, deed, power. Power. Can you go to the next slide, Lance? So this is a Venn diagram. Have you all seen these before? A Venn diagram, right? It helps you kind of organize ideas and concepts. And um, this was from James Chong, who wrote a book called, um, oh gosh, it's about revival, longing for revival. And here's what he says, and this was so helpful for me. Word people are like Bible, doctrine, theology, and they say things like, the problem with the world today is that people don't know the Bible, right? Word people. Then there's deed people, and they're all about missions, and serving, and doing stuff, and meeting needs. And some of you are like, if I go to another Bible study, I'm going to go insane. Let's go do something for Jesus. The problem with the church today is that we're just sitting around talking all the time. We're not doing anything. Deed, people. And then there's power people who are like, I just prayed for like three hours today and I just sat at the feet of Jesus and I think he's called me to fast for 20 years. (laughs) 
And I just love his presence. And I want to walk in the spirit. And I want to hear his voice. And you're like, the problem is with the church today, with people today, is that they're all about the Bible or doing stuff, but they don't have the presence of God. Power people. And here's the thing. Paul says all three of them, all three were in my ministry and it gave one result. I fully proclaimed the gospel of Jesus. And you know where I'm going with this. We need all three. We need all three. The vision that we're casting for this church is to live at the intersection of word and deed and power. That's where we're going. I believe that's where Jesus is taking us. I believe that we're not, we're, we're not an anomaly. I think Jesus is taking churches all across the land to this intersection of word and deed and power. And here's what I want you to do. This is where the whole like, where am I at, God, kind of question comes in. Is I just want you to pick, if you could just put a dot on where you fall in that whole Venn diagram, where would you put yourself? Just curious. In fact, if you want to sketch it out on a piece of paper, if you're a note taker, you want to write that down. But where would you put yourself? Are you more of a word person? Right? Or, or a, a deed person? Or a, a power person? Just be honest with yourself. Maybe you're kind of like in like one of those overlapping areas of like, like word and deed, yeah, power, not so much. Or maybe, so for me personally, I'm more like word and power. Like I love that kind of stuff. And then I have folks on our team that are like, they're, they're more like on the deed side and they balance me out. Does that make sense? Now, wherever you are on there, here's where I think the Lord's calling us is that we, A, we need one another. So if you're a word person, you need the deed person, and the deed person and the word person need the power person, and that power person needs the word person, and does that make sense? Like, we are different, and that's okay, but we need each other because we are all becoming, this is a good word, self-aware. I'm, I'm a word person, and when you start talking about power and deed, I'm like, eh, not for me, or eh, I don't know if that's it. I think the Lord's calling each of us to begin to move towards the center. Does that make sense? Paul says all three, word, deed, power. Friends, we desperately need the power of God. Today, we're continuing in the gifts list. We're looking at two gifts that are power gifts, okay? They're power gifts. We're gonna read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We started this last week in uh, verses four through 11. And here's what Paul says, and I'll read it again just like we did last week. And here's, here's the, the list he's going to give us. He says, now there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God produces each gift in each person. So important. Verse 7, a manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. Now, if you haven't done this yet, you should probably underline or circle each. 
And you should probably write your name next to that. Just remind yourself, like, that includes me. Okay? To each person for the common good. Verse 8, to one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. We talked about those two last week. Verse 9, to another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. We're talking about that today. Verse 10, to another, the performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. One and the same spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person as he wills. This is the word of the Lord. So here we have Paul giving us this list that we started talking about last week. And I think this is important as we talk about I want to show you guys some quotes. The first quote is from William Booth. He was the founder of the Salvation Army. And he's writing this probably in the 1860s at some point. And he says this, The chief danger that confronts the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, Salvation without regeneration. Politics without God. Heaven without hell. Wow. And that phrase, religion without the Holy Ghost, just grabbed me. Second, this is John Wesley. We've already talked about him this morning. He says, I'm not afraid that the people called Methodists should ever cease to exist either in Europe or America. I think he's probably saying, like, who cares? He says, but I'm afraid lest they should only exist as a dead sect, having the form of religion without the power. And this undoubtedly will be the case unless they hold fast to the doctrine, word, spirit, power, and discipline, deed, with which they first set out. We need power, and we need the gifts of the spirit that display God's power in our midst where he says, I'm here. And we're like, yes, you are. <laughs> Amen. So we're going to dive into this gift of faith. That's what we saw today. The, the next two gifts are the gifts of faith and the gift of healing. We're going to be talking about faith and healing. And I believe the core question of every person that does not yet believe in Jesus is this. Is this for real? Is this for real? They might have other questions about doctrines and ideas and theologies and teachings, but the core question is this, is this for real? And at the end of this portion in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says if we're using the gifts appropriately in order with love, that the unbeliever will have the secrets of their heart laid bare and they will say, God is really among you. So important, so gift of faith. What in the world is that? Well, let's talk about that. Hebrews 11 chapter 1 gives us the biblical definition of faith. You need to know this. Here's what it says. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. 
okay? Confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. It is certain about things that seem uncertain. That's what faith is. It's confidence and it's assurance or certainty. It, I like this. This is from the CSB study Bible notes. It says, faith is action based on certainty without any physical evidence. And if you're a person of faith who has the gift of faith, probably people look at you and think, that person's a little crazy sometimes. Okay? <laughs> because that's what the gift of faith is like. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Right? So it's almost like we're seeing something that no one else is seeing, but I see it. I'm so certain. I'm confident. I'm sure. Man, I believe. I have faith. I have faith. Faith sees things that others don't see. It says things that seem impossible, and it does things that, uh, that, uh, that other people think are crazy. And here's the thing. If you know how to fear, have fear, you know how to have faith. My, my youngest son, we talk about, you know, you know, Jesus and believing in him, and he's like, I don't know if I believe. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, how do you know if you believe? Good question, right? And I, and I heard this this week, and I thought this was very helpful. If you know how to fear, you know how to have faith. Because fear is faith in the wrong direction. You're believing something is going to happen to you that makes you fearful, and you're acting on that fear, that faith in the wrong direction. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? It's faith in the wrong direction direction. Um, fear sees things that aren't really there, and it says things that are unrealistically negative, and it also does things that people think are crazy. You know what I'm talking about? Right? When, when, you, when, when you go into a room, when you were younger maybe, when you were a kid, and you're like, there's no one else in this room but me, but the whole time you're like, right, because I feel like some, there's something here, right? A kid at school told me about this thing, and if you spin around three times and say this, and look in the mirror, and you, you, did, did y'all grow up with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, that's not real. But as a kid, you're like, man, I think it's real. And, and you just have this fear, faith in the wrong direction. Fear is the currency of the kingdom of darkness. But faith is the currency of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was always emphasizing faith, always talking about faith, responding to faith. It's the currency of the kingdom of heaven. And by faith, we declare things in the kingdom of heaven. By fear, we declare things in the kingdom of darkness. Okay? If we know how to fear, we know how to have faith. In Romans 12, I, I won't go there uh, and turn there. We've read this before in this series. Romans 12 is a great kind of gifts of the Spirit passage. And here's what he says in the passage, that God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. And uh, in 6, he talks about, um, according to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, here's the phrase, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. 
Meaning that faith has a measure, it has a proportion, and God is giving each of us a certain measure or proportion of faith. And it's by faith that we're using the gifts of the Spirit that God has given to us. The Greek word is metron, to which, from which we get our, term, our, our metrics, our measures. Faith has proportions in measures. And you remember Jesus when he's asleep on the boat, right? And the storm comes and the disciples freak out. And, you know, he's still sleeping down there peacefully. And they go and wake him up. It's like, don't you care that we're about to die? Of course, he rebukes the wind and the waves. They calm down. And he turns to his disciples and he says the phrase, right? You of what? Little faith. Little faith, small measure. You have little faith. There's a, 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 another instance where there's a woman who is a Gentile, and Jesus had come to proclaim the gospel to the Jewish people. And um, she basically says, um, don't even the dogs get the crumbs from the master's tr- table? Meaning like, I know we're not part of the, 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 you know, the people of God, but aren't we supposed to get something too? And he says, I've not seen such great faith in Israel. Great faith. The centurion who comes to him, he says, my master's sick, he's about to die. Say the word. You, you don't even have to come to my house. Say the word. And he says again, I've not seen such great faith in all of Israel. Little faith, great faith. There's, there's a proportion, a measure. And I think what we all ask is, wait, aren't we all supposed to have faith? Right? Well, yeah, I, I want to show you some th- three biblical contexts of faith. Okay, three contexts of faith. The first one is this, conversion faith. I think I have a slide for this in the back. The first is conversion faith. Now, this is the the trust, it's the confidence, it's the belief in the atoning sacrifice of Christ on our behalf that occurs at the moment of conversion. We sing about that, or Jason read that to us in the O for a Thousand Tongues to Sing lyrics, right? My heart came alive. Faith, I believed conversion, faith, and every Christian has this kind of faith, okay? We all have this. In Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 is a great verse for this. You are saved by grace through faith, right? And this is not from yourselves. It's God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. It's conversion faith. The second is this, continuing faith, This is the faith that we exercise daily as we look confidently to God to do in and through our lives all that he's promised to do. Galatians 5, 22 is a great passage for this. It's talking about the fruit of the spirit, okay? And he's he's like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. 
It's faithfulness. It's a fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We see it in 1 Peter chapter 1, and Paul's talking about um, this faith, and that we have a proven character of our, of our faith. It's, it's this saving of our souls. It's, it's the confidence of what's coming, right? He's talking about this faith that's, that's continuing in us. And this is the faith that grows in us over time, right? Growing continuing faith. But then there's this, this kind that we're talking about t- today, the gift of faith, and it's the charismatic faith, charismatic faith. This is spontaneous, divinely enabled, extraordinary measure of faith. Spontaneous, divinely enabled, extraordinary measure of faith. Now, we talked about this last week. We used the context of the Bible to understand the Bible. Okay, so in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 2, it says, if I have the gift of prophecy, same section of, that we're reading right here, if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and he says, if I have all faith so I can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. The kind of faith that he's talking about, this mountain-moving faith, right? We have all of the songs and the, the phrases that we use about moving mountains. All that is this gift of faith, a spontaneous, divinely enabled, supernatural measure of faith where we can look at a mountain and say, be moved. And Jesus says, if you do not doubt in your heart, it will be moved. Wow. It's crazy. In James 5, he talks about those that are sick and how they're supposed to come to the elders of the church and they'll anoint them with oil. And he says this, the prayer of faith will save the sick person. I believe he's talking about this kind of faith. It's a divinely enabled, enabled, supernaturally given kind of faith that it's just, for whatever reason, I believe this is going to happen and I'm going for it. Okay, now here's the thing. The first two, every Christian has them. The the conversion faith, continuing faith. The third one is distributed as the Spirit wills, which means not every Christian has the gift of faith, but here's what's important. Every Christian is a candidate to receive the gift of faith. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Every candidate, every Christian is a candidate to receive the gift of faith. I'll put this definition up for us. The gift of faith is that mysterious surge of confidence that rises within a person in a particular situation of need or challenge and which gives an extraordinary certainty and assurance that God is about to act through a word or an action. It's a beautiful definition, right? Mysterious surge of confidence that rises in a particular moment. You're like, God's about to do this, and I just know it. That's the gift of faith. It's supernatural confidence for invisible resources. I heard a preacher say this. It's the supernatural, supernatural ability to put all of your eggs in one basket. <laughs> right? Now, some of you have experienced this. You, you have 
You've had extraordinary faith in a particular moment and you knew God was gonna do something and you don't know why you knew that, but you just knew that you knew that was gonna happen. And some of you have made some major decisions in your life based on that or you've, you've, you've launched out into something based on that and you just knew God is about to do something. You were sure, you were confident. That was the gift of faith. Uh, whenever we were planting this church, I believe the gift of faith was active in my life. It's like I just knew that I knew that God had called us to come to Richmond, Texas to plant a church called Renaissance, right? And I just knew that that was him and we're going to do this. and It's going to happen, right? It, 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 it didn't make sense. I didn't have a whole plan. I just knew we're going to do it. It was the gift of faith. And here's the thing, this gift might seem like small, like, like the lower shelf of all the spiritual gifts, like we all want to prophesy or do something you know, crazy cool, but yeah, I think I might have faith. But here's the deal, this gift may seem small, but it is catalytic, because gift of faith people are lid lifters. Does that make sense? Like you, your gift of the Holy Spirit is used for the common good because you believe God for things that most of us are like not so sure about. You're lifting the lid for us. And I, I would venture to say that every great move of God that has ever happened in salvation history has happened through a supernatural outpouring of faith in a person or persons in which they took bold steps and they lifted the lid and the spirit of God rushed in and did something fresh and new in the body of Christ. Every time, it's catalytic. The gift of faith. So, so important for us as the body of Christ. So faith, we've got that covered. Y'all understand that? Good? Sure. Okay. The second one, healing. Now that one's pretty easy to define, right? You, you pray for someone to be healed and they get healed and you're like, that was a gift of healing, right? That, that's very, very simple for us to understand. But I, I think it's important to connect the two because Paul's using uh, this sort of list and he says faith and then healing. And I, I believe that the gift of faith and the gift of healing are probably always connected. They're, they're interacting with one another. And I'll show you why I think that here in just a second. Um, but faith is the open door for all things supernatural. And undoubtedly, when you feel like, hey, this person's sick, and I know their doctor says this about their condition, but I, I think something else is about to happen. I think God's going to do something. To me, that's a, that's a divinely enabled gift of the Spirit that's going to cause you to pray for that person with boldness that they would experience God's healing, faith and healing. So five kinds of faith for healing. I wanna show you this, because this was helpful for me. Five kinds of faith for healing. The first one is this, faith that God is your sole source of blessing. We're all there, right? God is your sole source of blessing. This is what Jesus emphasized when he emphasizes faith. And why did Jesus do that? Because faith glorifies God. Because faith points to God and his resources and not ours. It acknowledges our powerlessness in God's 
power. That's what faith does. Faith is not a self-sufficient like thing. It's like, no, no, no. God is my sole source of blessing. I uh, found this quote by Sam Storms, and I think I have it on a slide for you. I thought that was really helpful because depending on your background, when we start talking about faith and faith talk and what you start to envision is different than what the scripture is portraying. This is helpful. He says, faith is not a weapon by which we demand things from God or put him in subjection to us. Faith is an act of self-denial Faith is a renunciation of one's ability to do anything and a confession that God can do everything. Faith derives its power not from the spiritual energy of the person who believes, that's important, but from the supernatural efficacy of the object of belief, God. Did you catch that? When we talk about faith, we're not saying, boy, if you have enough of it, stir it up, man. Come on, dig deep, right? You know, stir it up, get that faith going, because if you don't, no, no, no. Faith derives its power not from the spiritual energy of the person who believes, but from the supernatural efficacy of the object of belief, God. It is not faith's act, but its object that accounts for the miraculous. When the disciples of Jesus were perplexed, they say, increase our faith. What does Jesus say to them? Do you remember? He says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed. He's saying, look, it's not about you know, this massive amount of faith. It's, it's the quality. It's the faith in who God is and what he can do. Like, that's what you need. It's, it's believing that God is our sole source of blessing. The second kind of faith for healing. Faith in God's ability to heal. In Matthew chapter 9, there's a story of Jesus and two blind men are calling out to him to be healed. And Jesus asked the question, do you believe that I can do this? It's a good question. And they say, yes. And then he says this phrase, and you've heard it before, then let it be done to you according to your faith. You're healed. It pleases Jesus when we believe he's able to heal, right? The woman with an issue of bleeding, and she's pushing through a crowd that's all around Jesus, and all these people are pressing in on Jesus, touching him, but she says in her heart, if I just touch, if I could just touch the edge of his garment, I'll be healed, and she pushes through, and she grabs the garment, and Jesus stops everything. He's like, who touched me? And they're like, everyone touched you. What are you talking about? Right? He says, no, 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 no. Power just went out from me. And he locates her and he says, daughter, your faith has saved you. Sozo, saved. It's, it's, a, it's a complete wholeness, well-being. Like, your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. You believe that I was able to do this for you. 
faith that God is able. The third is this, faith in God's heart to heal. Wow, this is a good one. It's confidence in God's character, his goodness, his love, his desire to build up and to not tear down, to bring wholeness and completeness. Healing is a window into the heart of God. I believe that many of us have suffered from a form of Gnosticism, which Gnosticism was an ancient teaching that the body was in some sense evil or bad, and that the death was the final liberation of the soul. So the soul is good. The soul is what God gave us. The body was corrupt and bad. And it, and it led to two errors that were two sides of the, the same coin. The first side was, well, it was like if you've seen Monty Python and the monks that were, that were beating themselves walking down the road, right? The, the self-flagellation, right? It's, it's a sense of like the body is bad and I'm just going to like, I'm just going to starve it. I'm going to, you know, my flesh is so terrible. And you know, it's just sort of against the body. And the other side of that coin was, who cares, man? Like, I'm going to eat, drink, I'm going to do everything because the body's bad anyways and my soul's going to be liberated. And so there was the errors and these were heresies. And I think that there's a, there's a trace of that in our belief that like what all that matters is my soul, my spirit, right? Forget the body. Who cares? Hey, I'm going to eat whatever I want, do whatever I want to do, right? Who cares? And I, I, honestly, I think that is a form of Gnosticism that comes in. Did you know that Jesus cares about your body? That when Jesus was on the earth, he healed bodies? He didn't just heal hearts or souls or spirits. He, he let blind eyes see again, right? People that couldn't walk, he made them walk. He cares about bodies, and healing is a window into his heart where he says, no, I made your body. I created it. It reflects me. And I care about it. It's his heart to heal. The fourth kind of faith is faith that God does heal today. Do you know, you can believe the first three, but not believe the fourth one. Like, oh, yeah. He's my blessing. He's able to do it. He loves to do it. it. It's good when he heals. But he's not doing that anymore. You will not pray boldly for healing today if you do not have faith that he still heals today. This is important. Fifth one is this. It's God's will to heal right now. This is the gift of faith. This is that moment where the spirit quickens you and I, I don't know how you know, but you know, I need to pray right this second for this person to get healed because the Lord's about to do something right now and we're gonna go for this, right? This is, the, this is that charismata faith that is connected to the charismata of healing, the gift of healing, it is that spirit-empowered confidence that he's going to heal right now. And here's the thing. God gives this sovereignly as he wills. It's not something that we conjure up. If I could just stir myself up enough, I'll believe. No, God gives it to us. It's bestowed upon us spontaneously 
often surprisingly, okay? Now, um, I want to point to something that I think is important, is that Paul uses a plural form of the word gifts and of healings. I think that's important, and I'll, I'll illustrate this from the life of Paul. Paul in Acts 29, or Acts 28, sorry, Acts 29 is our network. Acts 28 is a, a book of the, it's a chapter in the Bible. Acts 28, um, Paul's used mightily to heal on the island of Malta to the point where it says they brought everyone who had diseases, and it was like Jesus was back again, and everyone from the village is getting healed. Okay, so Paul's there, and it says they brought them all out, and he healed all of them. Wow. In Philippians chapter 2, he talks about his friend Epaphroditus, who almost died. He was so sick to the point of death, but then it says God, has, God had mercy on him. But it never ever says that I prayed for Epaphroditus and he got healed. Now, isn't that interesting that the man used, like we read in Romans 15, to do powerful things by the gifts of the Spirit on the island of Malta to heal everybody. He's got his close friend, Epaphroditus, and I'm sure he's praying for Epaphroditus, and Epaphroditus stays sick. What in the world? The reason why I say this is that the gifts of healings, it's important for us to remember that God is sovereign in healing. One of the uh, objections to this kind of teaching of the gifts of healing is that people believe if, you've, um, if you're able to, if God uses you to heal someone at any point, then you should be able to heal someone at every point, right? If you've done it once, you should be able to do it always. Otherwise, it's not really a gift of the Spirit. We see this in the life of Paul, that he was used to heal. In a moment, it was a gift of healing for that particular scenario, but he didn't always have the gift of healing to heal everyone you know, at all times, all places. That's important for us to remember. Here's why. It gives us confidence. We've been talking about this last week. I say it again this week. We're talking about uh, faith is spelled R-I-S-K, and what happens when we start talking about spiritual gifts is you're like, man, I just, I feel like God wants me to do this. And you step out there and you do it and then nothing happens and you say, never again. It didn't work. It's a bunch of hooey, a bunch of baloney, right? Because it didn't work. Friends, God is the sovereign healer. And you might pray for 10 people and maybe one of them gets healed. But you know what? I'd rather have one get healed than none get healed because I was too scared to step out and do what I felt like God was calling me to do. Does that make sense? God wants us to take the risk. Gifts of healing. So let's close with this. We need men and women who move in the gift of faith. We need this lid lifter kind of faith. Lastly, we need to regularly pray for sick people. Okay? I wish that when you became a, a, a brand new believer, that you got like a quick start guide. You know, like when you buy a lawnmower and they give you a quick start guide and you're like, you know, 
you know, pull the cord, you know? So it, it had a list of all your features of like, now your gift is this and that, but it's not those over there, right? I wish we had that guide, but we don't, okay? So that means that we, we learn by experience, which means we just try some stuff, basically. We believe things and we try things. And we trust that God's gonna work it out, okay? We need to regularly pray for the sick. Um, Francis Chan, who's an amazing Bible teacher, he was uh, in a remote part of Asia, and he's preaching to people who have never heard the gospel before. And he's like, you know, the, it's crazy to me that I would go and that when I say, hey, I'm going to preach the gospel to people that had never heard the gospel before, that literally the whole town came out to hear. And so he's you know, preaching the gospel, people are responding, and then they begin to minister. And he said, I'm seeing deaf people here. He said, nine years ago, I didn't believe that happened anymore. He, he, he talks about a woman who had some sort of, um, a, I think it was like a mass or something. And so he prayed for the woman, and the mass disappeared. And he's like, wow crazy but she the 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 ailment had caused like this like kind of rashy redness on her face and she said could you pray for that and he's like oh that's a cosmetic procedure like insurance doesn't pay for that one you know what i'm saying like i, I don't think it works that way <laughs> but i'll try it anyway and i love the humility i'm not sure it works that way but i'll try it anyway and he prays for the woman and the redness disappears from her face Again, he didn't believe in that nine years ago. A lot of his friends have rejected him because he does these kinds of things now. <laughs> There's something beautiful about the humility that says, I don't even know if this is gonna work, but here we go. And I believe that's what God calls us to as people who walk by faith. Where it's a really humble and vulnerable thing to act with the gift of faith and to pray for healing. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To support our work, you can like, share, subscribe, or you can donate at rin-church.org.